Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo, and you're listening to Motivated. Whether you work out regularly or someone who really watches your diet, or maybe you've slipped off the wagon or gained back some weight that you've lost, or you just need an extra push to help you stay on track, staying motivated is key. And that's why we're here to help. Every week, we're bringing you the top health, wellness, and fitness experts, along with a lot of really amazing everyday people. And it's all about helping you live a healthier and happier life. All right, so this afternoon, we are here with two fabulous nutritionists. They also happen to be cousins, coincidentally, which we didn't know when we booked them. So it's the best booking coincidence ever. Uh, Carrie Glassman, a nationally recognized celebrity nutritionist, registered dietitian, healthy cooking expert, and published author. You can check her out on Instagram at Nutritious Life Official, and her blog is NutritiousLife.com. And Brooke Alpert is a nationally recognized nutrition expert as well, also an author as well. Such an accomplished family you guys are. You can check her out at, at B nutritious and b-nutritious.com. Thank you both for being here. So I want to talk about all things detox, cleanses, juices, and fast. I know it's a lot to get in 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 the amount of time we have, but I want to get into it. So, you know, my experience with detoxes, I heard about the master cleanse about five years ago, Mm -hmm. and I decided after I had my daughter that I kind of needed to jumpstart something. So I did it for a few weeks, not all day, every day. I would do it until dinner. So that was all I would do was the master cleanse drink, and then I would have dinner. I did it for a few weeks, and for me, it actually was like a reset button um, because I know people talk about those being kind of temporary fixes, all the weight is supposed to come back, but it helped me kind of get my mind right, focus, be committed, and it worked because I've lost a lot of weight, and I've kept it off for five years now. So what do you guys think? Carrie, I want to start with you. What's your view on detoxes in general? In, you know, it's really hard to say in general just because there are – like the word detox, the word cleanse, it's just it, – it really doesn't have a specific definition. So, you know, detox to you might mean master cleanse till dinner and then a normal – and then a normal balanced dinner and then continuing on with a healthy diet after you've lost baby weight. For other people, it could be, eat, you know, drinking green juices all day long. For other people, it could be just not eating fast food. So it's a really hard to – I guess have one specific answer just because again detox cleanse it's a very generic term. So what's the so, what does detox mean to you? Yeah, so that's so great question. So I would say in and to answer sort of your first question though I would say that there is a time and a place for certain types of cleanses or detoxes and then there is never a time and a place for other types of detoxes and cleanses. And so what a cleanse to me means is and I do recommend cleanses there are many detoxes and cleanses that I don't recommend ever. And then there are certain types that I would recommend for specific people during specific times. And they would always include certain things such as whole real foods. So for me, a good cleanse for somebody would be taking out all sugar, processed packaged foods, salt, alcohol, and, you know, eating all whole real foods. (laughs) That is a cleanse. It is a cleanse. (laughs) But I would still include whole real foods, including enough protein and vegetables and um, and enough healthy fat consistently throughout the day. So really, it would be an extreme version of a healthy eating plan. So it, what I always like to say is I, I look at a cleanse as real food, as a you call it the skeleton or a framework of what your plan will be moving forward. For, for how long? What's the period of time you recommend? I'd say four to seven days. Okay, so about, yeah, about four a week. To, yeah, four to seven days, but you're still eating real whole foods and you're sort of setting yourself up to build on that cleanse to move forward. Whereas many people that do cleanses do something really extreme 
and then they completely they have no plan of attack for after and they do something totally different so the way I look at a cleanse is it's really the building blocks or the foundation for what your healthy eating plan will be Brooke what do you think you know I really agree with Carrie especially the word cleanse or detox can mean so many different things to different people the way I look at it too is I like to get say that we're getting back down to fundamentals so in my practice I'll often give some clients something clients um, something I call the be strict plan and it's really just five to seven days of a really, really clean, healthy eating um, diet plan. But what we're doing is just getting really back to the basics and fundamentals. And I think it brings real awareness to those extra bites we're taking, to perhaps some of the sauces that we're using. You know, you and I were talking earlier about the barbecue sauces yeah. and the ketchups and little extra things that we don't realize that we're adding on to our diet every single day. So I like to just say that we're breaking it down to the real fundamentals of the foods that you need to eat to live. And then from there, you can take it to the idea of how do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. But I think there's always a time and a place to bring things back to basics. It's kind of like, you know, taking your wardrobe, going really down to a minimal wardrobe and taking off all your accessories. And that's kind of how we can look at like a cleanse or a detox that way. Now, I found there was a real psychological benefit. And then another one I've done is a sugar detox, which I'd want to talk to you about. That's your book. Um, I found there was a real psychological benefit to the discipline, to the commitment to also feeling really clean, whether or not, and I don't know what you guys think of the master cleanse, I do want to know what you think of it, but whether or not it was that drink that was making me feel clean, I felt like it was more of a psychological cleansing, that I was kind of stripping away a lot of the heavy foods that I had just come to rely on. Is there there a psychological component there? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is, that is one of the benefits of doing, I mean, it sounds like, you know, Brooke and I have very similar views on what, you know, a healthy type of a cleanse would be, right? So I think in either one of those, in either way, um, I think I always say like one of the benefits of doing a cleanse like that is you shed a few pounds right away, which has a mental component. You feel good. You lose some water weight. It, it can motivate you. There is that, you know, you kind of get a kick in your step, like, ooh, lots of <laughs> pounds, ready to go. I can't wait to continue eating, you know, my kale. <laughs> like you get motivated and it does, and you do feel good. Also taking out, like you said, taking out packaged processed foods, taking out the sugar, you lose some of that bloat. You don't feel puffy in the morning. And also, let's also remember that those foods also can make our brains foggy and they can make us feel yuck. And they can so by taking out those foods and in conjunction those foods that make you feel bad in conjunction with losing a little bit of um, that bloat from the water weight that you just lose by getting rid of some of the sodium and getting rid of the sugar you do feel better you do feel cleaner well what it did was it transitioned me into clean eating it was almost like a weaning of all the crap that I'd been eating when I was pregnant And once I kind of went through that weaning, then I was able to say, okay, now let's do like the proteins and the nuts and the, you know, the vegetables and fruits and all that. Um, A variant of the master cleanse are these juice cleanses, which a lot of people do. And you, some of them are really expensive. You'll spend hundreds of dollars. They'll ship it to your house. And you're just drinking different juices for weeks on end. Is, Is that any better? Yes and no. Again, it really depends on what juice you're drinking. So I'm okay with juice every so often. I think a green juice is great. It's a great way for us to get major micronutrients into our body super quickly, a lot of antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, the works, which is great. A lot of juices, though, are loaded with sugar. So my rule of thumb for clients is that there can be one fruit in your juice. It better be green, right? So a green juice with one fruit plus a lemon or a lime. Um, Otherwise, you're just consuming sugar throughout the day. And people will lose weight on these juice cleanses because not of the juice itself, but again, the same thing with you and the master cleanse, everything that you were not eating instead of this juice. 
So I think they are doable. But I think, again, whenever you remove so much from your diet, you really set yourself up for failure. And it's an expression I use that all the time in my practice. We want to set you up for success. Juice cleanses can often set people up for failure. I think it's sometimes okay, and I'll recommend it to anyone that's having major GI issues, um, to really sometimes give their stomach just a rest. So I'll do smoothies and juices um, just to give their stomach and their digestive system a little bit of a break. Um, But unless you're having a smoothie, you're also not consuming any protein throughout the day, which isn't beneficial for you. So, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of the juice cleanses. I'm a fan of a good quality green juice, and that I'm okay with daily. And you would just, what, integrate that into your normal diet? Yeah, absolutely. It could be part of one of your meals. It could be a great afternoon snack. Um, A green juice is great for you. Now, one of the things that you hear from, you know, those who are pushing these cleanses is that it flushes your system. It clears out toxins. Is there any science to support that a liquid juice type of cleanse is going to detox your body, literally detox it? (laughs) You you know, by giving your digestive system a break, yes, things can move like through it faster, right? So often people are running to the bathroom more frequently regardless of what they're doing there, just because they're drinking a lot of fluids and it is flushing their system. But you can also achieve the same thing by drinking a lot of water throughout the day. Um, You know, something I like to recommend, dandelion tea for people who are feeling really bloated and slow because it's just a natural diuretic and it's a great thing to add to what you're, you know, eating every day. Um, If you want to give your, you know, digestive system a break for a day or two to do one of these juice cleanses or maybe even incorporate smoothies so this way you're getting protein, I'd be more supportive of that. But, you know, when it comes to any diet, I always say a diet shouldn't have an expiration date. So if something is only for three days, seven days, 31 days, what happens after that? And that's where the setting up for success is really important. So you have to have that plan. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about the sugar detox because I'm really big on sugar mm-hmm. um, in a bad way. So I think <laughs> that sugar is like the root of all of my personal evils. Um, I wish that that meant that I never ate sugar, but I do not have the discipline or the commitment to kick it completely. But I'm trying. Progress, not perfection. So tell me about the sugar detox. Why is it a good idea to to try to cut back on sugar? And, and what should we be aiming for? Sure. So when I talk about sugar, the, the number one concern when it comes to overeating sugar are the added sugars. So the sugars that you're either adding to your coffee, the sugars that are in our salad dressings, um, the sugars that you'll see on the nutrition labels sugar's of added sugar. It, it's in everything. But there's also all the natural sugars that are found in dairy and vegetables and fruits and some whole grains as well. So the added sugars are really what's caused our country to have this incredible obesity epidemic. It's what's really affecting our waistlines. It's affecting our heart. It's affecting our brains. It's affecting our gut. That's the number one culprit when it comes to our health is sugar and especially the added sugars. So if we can start taking out added sugars, and the first thing with my clients is always changing their coffee from the coffee milkshakes that they create in the morning to coffee. It's not supposed to be a milkshake. When you see them, you know, at the counter at Starbucks, and I'm I'm not the food police. I I try not to judge because, you know, we all have our moments of weakness. But they do look like milkshakes. I mean, with the whipped cream and the caramel drizzle, and then they have those pumps of that syrup in there. It's like an excuse for adults to to have a milkshake for breakfast in the same way that, like, pancakes and waffles are an excuse for grownups to have cake for breakfast. A hundred percent. And so many people don't even realize what they're doing because they're just ordering at the coffee shop. They, it doesn't like hit them mentally mm-hmm. that they're having a dessert when they're drinking these coffee beverages. And that's always my number one target with my clients. Nix the added flavors and sweeteners to your coffee in the morning. So so if you, what do you recommend to your clients for trying to kick sugar, so to speak? Because you can't kick it altogether, right? 
Well, I think what Brooke just said, though, is really like how she targets, let's say, the coffee drinks. I always say to my clients, you want to take it out of the things that you're doing 365 days a year. You don't like if it's that, you know, cheesecake that your mother makes for you once a year on your birthday. Like it's not I'm going to give that up this year. <laughs> like, OK, great. That's going to really that's not going to make a dent in one bit of your health issues or your weight. You want to look at the areas where people are abusing sugar on a daily basis. So, for example, if, you know, you go for ice cream to your favorite, you know, we were talking about going for an ice cream before. When you go, if you do that, you know, twice a summer, great, you know, or even once a week in the summer for a few weeks. Like, that's not even the problem. It's the daily things. If that ice cream becomes daily, if it's it's the salad dressing, like Brooke mentioned, salad dressing, it's the condiments, it's the bread that you're eating and you think you're having whole wheat bread and serving yourself and your family a great, wonderful sandwich and you're giving yourself a pat on the back for doing something good and using whole wheat bread instead of white bread. But if you look on the back, there's actually high fructose corn syrup in that bread. So it's all of those hidden places that you're not only are you maybe doing daily, but you're actually thinking you're even doing something good. So what should you be looking for? Where do the Because I feel like now they've switched the name of sugar. They're calling it all these other things like refined organic cane sugar. I'm like, but it's still sugar. There's over 80 different names for sugar. Mm -hmm. So it's really sneaky. And this is where I say avoid the nutrition labels because it's just going to confuse you. Read the ingredients. And you'll see words that will sound like sugar, whether it's a corn syrup, whether it's something with the word glucose in it. Um, You know, be a detective. Molasses. It comes up and it pops up. And it really shows it's in everything. You need to read the ingredients, number one. But there is this marketing assault that even, I mean, I'm someone who pays a lot of attention. I read about these things. I'm really interested in it. And yet, and still, if I see something that says like, you know, um, or, organic agave syrup, I'm like, oh, well, that, okay, that that works for me. When Isn't my body just making it using it the same way it would white sugar. Absolutely. I so mean, how do we it, Well, Well, know? I think, but I think in that case, you have to think, should I have sugar in this product? So for example, if it's a cookie and you're having it as an indulgence, you're buying cookies for your family and you know that when you're having that, you're having sugar. You're making the conscious choice to have a treat after dinner. Then I would say, yeah, is the organic agave better than the high fructose corn syrup? Yes, but it's still a treat and it's still an indulgence. When it comes to something like your bread, your salad dressing, you know, your yogurt, things like that shouldn't have added sugar in them. You don't need sugar there. You don't have to have that there. So go for the better types of sugar when you're truly having it as an indulgence. And then you need to really clean house in all the other places. You don't need it in a condiment. You don't need it in, you know, I mean, uh, a bread, a salad dressing, a where I'm trying to think of other places that uh, what we haven't mentioned, we keep going back to the same things. But you don't need it in those different places, in a cereal, in an oatmeal. You know, you don't need it in all these different places. So if you're having something that really shouldn't have sugar to begin with, I don't care if it's organic. I don't care if it's, you know, if it's not refined. It doesn't matter. You don't need it added at all. Now, that's not to say, like, the world's going to end if you have it. And it might be a better choice to have some oatmeal with a little added, you know, sugar than to have, you know, the donut, of course. But in general, on a day-to-day basis, Basis, if you're redoing your pantry and you're trying to make better choices, you don't need it in, mo- in 90% of those places. Does your body distinguish between any of these types of sweeteners, honey, agave, regular white sugar, brown sugar, molasses, or is it all the same to your body? So your body eventually processes it all as sugar. The goal of 
our, what our body's digestive system is, is to break everything down into glucose so it could be readily used for energy. Certain sugars are more rapidly absorbed into our body, and so especially any sort of liquid form or high fructose corn syrup, they get absorbed a lot quicker into our body. And so then that's when we have the sh blood sugar spikes, that's when insulin is triggered and it's this whole hormonal cascade, and that leads to a whole you know trifecta of problems. So yes and no is the answer. The, at the end of the day, you're eating sugar, doesn't matter what form, your body's still gonna treat it as sugar, but there's still the best of the worst, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. There's the lesser of the evils. And then something like honey, you're still getting a little bit of minerals. So yeah. at least like you're getting some benefit there. It's not just horrible for you. One of the things that surprised me when I did eliminate a lot of sugar, and I was able to successfully keep a lot of it out of my diet, is that when I would then go back to certain things, how it affected me in ways that I hadn't been affected before. I guess I had developed some kind of tolerance. And then when you strip that away, it's like the instant irritability, like mm -hmm. the instant energy, but not good energy, kind of jittery, nervous, anxious energy. So if people really do want to go through some kind of sugar detox, what do you recommend? How much time and what should they be aiming for? Because you can't eliminate all sugar, right? It's in fruit. It's a naturally occurring thing. So what are the guidelines? Right. So, so for me, the way that I like to think of it is really targeting the added sugars. In my book, I was a whole lot stricter, and we even did natural sugars in the beginning to really get people off of the sugar addiction. And this book was really targeted for it's people. It's addictive. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it triggers the same points in your brain as a lot of, you know, hardcore drugs do. So it really, and it, you know, has that pleasure. It hits that pleasure center in our brain, making us feel really good and want more and more of it. So especially anyone with a real addictive, you know, um, personality you know, it's really tough with sugar. It really grabs a hold of them. And it's in everything, so you can't escape it. It's so accessible, yeah. and it's so cheap. And it's cheap, right? And so, and especially things when people used to think that they were making a healthy choice by opting for fat-free foods, they didn't realize they were just having high sugar foods. And that's what I grew up on. I mean, I grew Snack up in the Wells 80s cookies. and 90s. It was yeah. the low-fat, 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 stay away from fat at all costs. And now I'm learning that... They were replacing the fat with sugar. Yeah, right. And I right. feel like I do have a lifelong addiction that I have to manage day to day. And it wasn't even Absolutely. just stay away from the fat. It was, oh, and sugar's just calories. It's just calories. Exactly. It's fine. You can burn calories off. Meanwhile, right, you and and the rest of us that grew up in that time <laughs> period, it did. It set us all up for horrible habits. And it's why our obesity rates are so high. It's why diabetes is such a problem. But I also agree with them, something else we were talking about, that sometimes for people that are ha such an extreme addiction, I would say that I would even take them off of fruit for a while. You can get plenty of vitamins and minerals from vegetables. You can go that extreme. It's the rare person that I actually say to have no fruit at all for a while because um, I do – obviously, fruit has a great role in most people's diets. Um but for some people, I would even go that extreme as well. Yeah. Um, I could talk about sugar all day, but I do want to get to fasts. So, you know, I feel like there's this this trend of fasting now, and there are a couple different ways that people are doing it. Yeah. There's the, you know, five days on or five, five days two off, diet. two days mm -hmm. of fasting. There's intermittent fasting. Um, I'm actually a really big fan of intermittent fasting where, you know, you set hours, you eat during those hours, and then the kitchen is closed. And I also believe in teaching my daughter that you should not be eating throughout the entire day grazing. I don't think those are good habits. What are your thoughts on fast? You know, it, it's so interesting. When I was back in school many, many moons ago studying nutrition, this was something that was completely shunned against, you know, that the fasting wasn't good for you. It would sort of, you know, ruin your metabolism. It would put you in starvation mode. You wouldn't burn any calories. 
And in the last couple of years, the science behind intermittent fasting is really fascinating. And like the science geek in me, like totally geeks out over all of this. Well, tell, so, tell me, tell me about it because I, I think a lot of people are just starting to learn about this. Yeah, and so there's some really amazing studies that are linking intermittent fasting to you know a better weight, you know, easy weight loss, better brain moods, better brain functioning, longevity, heart health, cholesterol issues. I mean, literally everything we want to target. Right now, the studies are saying intermittent fasting can work. Do we and, know why? Why does limiting your eating to a certain window have all those benefits? I think it's what what hormones are getting shut off in the body and what we're producing and what we're starting to burn on, you know, is, is my theory behind it. And I think it's really cool. And I really like sort of more of the early time restricted feeding fasting kind of thing. It's called like ETRF. So what is that? Um, and it just really means it's just shutting down the hours. And so I like to have clients leave a 12 to 14 hour window between dinner and breakfast. A lot of the intermittent fasting, the 5-2, the 18-hour, you know, not eating, while the science is great, my job as a dietitian to my clients is to make things realistic and doable and, again, right. setting them up for success, which I think is, must be the tagline of what we're saying right. today. And so often what I've seen is people that just can't do it. It's just not doable for so many people. But shutting the kitchen down early, having an earlier dinner, I'm trying to bring back the early bird special, making that cool again. <laughs> if we can do that, then we can start really sort of benefiting some of the, the cool benefits of the intermittent fasting for your body without setting yourself up for a binge post-fast. What do you think? Karen? Well, the other the other thing to it, and, and um, the science is incredible behind it. There is really interesting science because people will ask me, "Does it work?" And I'll say, "Yeah, it does. It works." I mean, so it does Atkins. Towards what? It can work for weight loss. So can Atkins. So can you know? So can the Master Cleanse for some people. Like you might lose weight, but that doesn't mean that it's a great plan for the long term. Now, I think it can be a good plan for some people, and those people that I think it would be good for are people that are extraordinarily diligent with their diets. So for a client that I know can plan, this is exactly what I'm going to eat for these few days, this is what I'm going to eat on these two days, and they know they're not going out, or if they're going out, they know exactly where, they are, where they're going and what they're ordering, then that can work. But for, but for people that don't have a lifestyle like that or can't follow it, sort of doing it halfway you're not going to reap any benefits from it. Like you have to do it or not do it because if you're doing it halfway, you know, um, ha, you know, Brooke was mentioning that like you really have to get those benefits of the being on, you know, being on and then being off. It, it, you, you're not going to reap the hormonal benefits unless you do it that strict. So if you're not going to be that strict, it's sort of you're wasting your efforts. You're, you're creating these sort of habits that are not really going to benefit you in any way, shape, or form. So do you, should you commit to it for a period of time? Should you be trying to commit to it for the rest of your life? Should it be a lifestyle change? Well, see, and that's where I think the, the problem is. I don't think it's a lifestyle that the majority of Americans can adhere to. And so it's like so many people I'd have, you know, who would try to follow a really low-carb diet. And so in the morning, they'd have eggs and bacon and be really, you know, high-protein, high-fat lunch, they start failing, and by dinner, they're shoving a slice of pizza in their mouth. So they're actually getting the negative effects from both diets. And that's what my fear is with this. So again, I think the research is super cool. And I think there's little ways we can incorporate those benefits. Um, for me, what I like to recommend is just that early dinner, you know, long, long time between dinner and breakfast. And I think you can reap a lot of the benefits without setting yourself up for a binge. Because I just don't think that intermittent fasting is possible. I've messed around with it. And I mean, this is our profession. Like we're professional dieters in many ways. And it was really challenging. I'm a mom of two young children. 
I, I'm around food all the time. I talk food all the time in my office. It's It was really, really challenging. And so I just don't think that for the average American, it's an it's a doable plan. Well, one of the things that I found interesting, because I do, I kind of will flirt with it for three or four days. I might make it a week, maybe 10 days and a really good stretch and then kind of go back to eating late. And um, But one of the things that I find most interesting is, you know, if I shut down the kitchen at, say, 6.30, by the time I go to bed at 10.30, I'm starving. And then I wake up in the morning. I'm not hungry at all. Right. And my husband says that his father used to tell him, you go to bed hungry, you wake up full. Like this was like yeah. some, and his father was like from the country. This was like some country saying. But look, it rings true today, right? So what time would you recommend that people shut down the kitchen? You want to leave a big window between dinner and breakfast. So what time should they be having dinner? So I really like the 12 to 14 hour window. You know, ideally it's 14, but it's not always doable. So it really depends what time you wake up, your sleep habits. Mm-hmm. I like people to finish being, being done eating, you know, close to four hours prior to going to sleep to give their digestive system a break, let their blood sugar stabilize before they go to sleep. Because if you eat prior to going to bed, the blood sugars are going to spike and you'll be sleeping with high blood sugar, which is not what we want. So I really like that sort of 14-hour window whenever possible. But if you're not someone who wakes up hungry and you can have breakfast later, then it's less of an issue. So you really need to kind of figure out how that works best for you. And what you were explaining why that is. Why do I wake up Oh, well, like, just that you've shrunk your stomach a little bit also. Like, think about it when you go to bed. If you ever have been, you know, remember days of college or even <laughs> whenever in your 20s or maybe even now for some people. <laughs> um, but you're up late and you go for dinner, you know, go to the diner late night at 2 in the morning and you eat. What happens? You wake up in the morning and you're famished. Yes. <laughs> you're hungry. You start, you know, you want more. So it's sort of the opposite. You've sort of, you've, you've sort of like shrunk your stomach a little bit. You're, you're not as hungry. That's why you need to break the fast, though. You need to eat within an hour, an hour and a half max of waking up so you can get those um, you can get your you can squash your hunger hormones and you can get your metabolism hungry, going do I have to eat in yeah, the morning you do. if I'm not hungry I mean I'm a big there's also by the way breakfast is like a whole other we could do a whole other we should <laughs> we'll have you back this. for that because <laughs> breakfast is very controversial there are people that believe you absolutely do not need to have it there are people that believe you have to have it there's science on both sides I am absolutely a breakfast believer just even from you know anecdotal evidence of all of the thousands of clients I've worked with over the years if you don't eat breakfast I mean by the end of the day you're eating worse. I believe you've slowed down your metabolism. You're missing out on some great nutrients. There's mental benefits to breakfast. I mean, that's, again, it's a whole other topic, but I'm a huge believer in having something. And so for someone, if you're not really hungry, maybe it's a smoothie. Maybe it's something, you know, a little bit easier to digest. It's like maybe it's even some people just don't want uh, traditional breakfast foods. So I'll say, great, have, you know, a piece of chicken, like whatever. It doesn't really matter, but you should have even a latte for some people is enough, like a latte and a few nuts or a latte and a teaspoon of peanut butter can at least be enough getting a little bit of protein, getting enough calories to tell your body you're eating, you know, start burning, let's go. And and, and back to your advice about leaving 12 to 14 hours be, uh, between dinner and breakfast, it's kind of a variant of, of intermittent fasting because then you're eating for 10 hours a day. Right. So it's called early time-restricted feeding. So it's ETRF, which is a, a variation of intermittent fasting. And I think that the science behind that is almost as strong as intermittent fasting, but it's doable. So I'd much rather someone do something, you know, at 90 percent but be able to do it forever than do it at 100 percent and only be able to do it for four days. And it sounds like that's the message that you got when it comes to all of these things, whether it's detoxes, cleanses, fasts, doing things that are realistic and that you can do over the long term and that are going to be healthy for you over the long term. Is that fair to say? What's, what's, our, what's our summary 
Yeah, absolutely. You want to be able to do things that you're you're creating a healthy life for you for the long haul that you don't feel like you're working so hard at. I mean, you have to work hard at being a healthy person. You have to focus on it, but it shouldn't feel like torture every day. It's right. not sprint. It's not a sprint. It's right. a marathon. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, a diet, healthy eating, there shouldn't be an expiration date for any of this. And so if you have a timeline where all of a sudden it's 30 days on, 30 days off, you know, I think there's really great benefits of something like the whole 30, but people are starting and stopping nonstop. So that's what I don't want. I don't like the start and stop. I want something that can be consistent forever. But if someone does want a little reset button, any suggestions there? Is you know, can you you talked about kind of a stricter version of your long term plan? Would you do it for three days, five? I mean, what's the someone? A lot of people really need that. They have a birthday, they have the holidays, they have New Year's, they go on vacation, and they come back and they want a fresh start. Well, absolutely. I think you know, again, as we said earlier, stripping it down to basics is great. Having good quality proteins, vegetables, and fats throughout your day is a great way. And tons and tons of water, or something like dandelion tea, to stimulate you know, um, you know, the diuretic effect. It's all great, but, you know, you doesn't need to overthink it. You know that slice of pizza doesn't belong in a healthy eating week. You know that slice Dang of it. cake doesn't belong in there. But if you can take three days, five days, seven days, and just say, I'm just going to focus on clean eating – Awesome. And I'd recommend that to anybody. All right, Carrie, you get the final word on this. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, on that note, like I said at the beginning, a real whole food cleanse. I mean, I, I have a whole bunch of them on my site. I'm sure Brooke has them on hers as well. Um, I mean, but again, real whole foods consistently throughout the day, no sugar, no alcohol. Um, a little bit of healthy fat throughout the day, mostly vegetables, lean protein. I mean, that's whatever version of that you do, whether it's mine, Brooks, any, you know, there's so many different ways of your own version of that. That's a healthy way to do a cleanse to give yourself a little bit of a reset. All right, and you don't need to drink lemon water exclusively for seven days. No, no. <laughs> you can have it with your meals. Right. Brooke, Carrie, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. Staying motivated is a 24-7 job. Let's keep this conversation going. Send us your questions by using the hashtag motivated or tweet me at MaraCamp. Help spread the motivation by taking a moment to give us a quick review. Just click the link in the description of this episode. New episodes post Monday mornings. And don't forget, you can watch this interview anytime at abcnews.com. Motivated is a production of ABC News. Thanks for listening. I'm Mara Schiavocampo.